From Brick in downtown Brooklyn, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is Glitter and Doom. It is Celebrate Brooklyn season, and the excitement at Brick is palpable as we prepare to welcome our community back to the Prospect Park fan shell starting this Saturday, July 31st. There are some fantastic artists performing this season, which runs through September. We have Ari Lennox, Buffy St. Marie, Jungle Pussy, and Kamau. My name is Kamau. That's K-A-M-A-U-U as an artist name. And um, I was born in D.C., raised in Maryland, and I make music, which is probably how you all know me. I interview a lot of visual artists and performance artists and writers, but I don't interview many musicians. And I find that I don't have great vocabulary to describe what it is that Kamau does. Like, I can tell you there's rapping and singing and vocal instrumentation. And for me, references that come up are Outkast and Chance the Rapper. So I asked Kamau how he would describe his music to someone who hasn't heard it before. Yeah, I guess it would be difficult, but um, I think um, I would say you can hear the influence of um, West African percussion. It's not always seen in the production, but I think uh, the djembe has informed how I approach rapping, because um, rapping is a very percussive uh, literary medium. But um, you can find influences of Andre 3000, you know, Bobby McFerrin, Chaos, uh, Lupe Fiasco, Lauren Hill, uh, Sam Cooke. When people ask what type of music I make, I usually just tell them I rap and I sing. And I say that uh, I, I try to be helpful and make it helpful music. And it's, it's a bit soulful. You know? And everyone should also just obviously go look up your music. That's K-A-M-A-U-U. And yep. they should come see you at Celebrate Brooklyn, which at I'm Celebrate so Brooklyn. excited about. Um, are you back to performing or will this kind of be like your first big concert post-pandemic? This would be the first, yeah. How do you feel about it? Uh, nervous. Excited, nervous. Uh, maybe more nervous than excited. This will be the first big show in a long time for many of the artists performing at Celebrate Brooklyn. Last year, Celebrate Brooklyn moved online, but this year we are back in person. Concerts and performances are free, as always, but this year you do have to RSVP at brickartsmedia.org. I think at the core, I'm a... Um... Amongst many things, I've experienced myself as a introverted person with extroverted abilities and performative abilities. I mean, maybe we all have the ability, but um, uh, and I have the courage to do those things despite the nerves, for sure. But I often prefer solitude. And uh, my, my favorite part of music is definitely... At this point, and thus far, it has been, you know, just the, the crafting and creating side and the performing side of it. I enjoy it because I enjoy being a servant and, and serving. And I enjoy the gratification of 
being able to talk to people right after the show and people were saying, yeah, this is great. The moments leading up to going onto the stage, the day, the morning of, hours before, the last five minutes before, seconds before, ah, man, it's, it's very, uh, very scary, very heavy. Even when I feel prepared, very rehearsed, there is a uh, fear, you know, and it's, it's a good thing. But it's a thing that should be respected for sure, you know. But yeah, this is freaking scary, you know. So I read in an interview that you gave, you said, the most effective way to gain loyalty as a musician is to make people dance and sway. And I mean, your music does make me dance and sway, but it's also, I mean, the topics that you are rapping about are not exactly like... um dance hall topics you know you're like talking about police brutality you're talking about systems of oppression and so i'm just Mm -hmm. curious about like you know how do you sort of balance those two or is that like a conscious choice that if you are speaking about these really important and weighty topics that you find a way to package it in a way that like as you said your audience is going to remain loyal to you in general, it's, it's important to uh, make sure that the people get the information. And this is something that I'm only recently learning. So when you listen to my catalog, you won't find a super abundance of this because I think I'm getting better at it. But what you're saying, packaging something in a way that's most digestible, especially when it's something that is like maybe really healthy, but maybe um, more difficult to hear. I think like when, when you listen to police, I think it sounds great. Um, I think that the packaging, I think police sounds like what it's what it's about, <laughs> you know? And I think that's cool. But it's also a way to maybe make that song and make it even more, you know, digestible. Police, 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 as you might imagine, is a song about police brutality. The chorus asks the question, who police the police when they get out of line? And the song ends with Kamau reading the names of Black people who have been killed by the police. I think it's very dangerous, though, to uh, try to make people uh, loyal to you, make sure that people remain loyal to you. Muhammad Ali, at a certain point in time, if he was so concerned with people remaining loyal to him, he would not have spoke out against the draft. There were people who loved him, who... Uh, kind of left him. I mean, the United States kind of abandoned him at a certain point. CBS presents this program in color. If I recall correctly, you said you were the people's champion? Yes, sir. Do you think that you're acting like a people's champion? Dodge the draft. Friday in Houston was the champion's moment of truth. He showed up at the induction center, but refused to step forward, bringing on the threat of prison and a shattered career. About 20 of Ali's supporters marched outside the old post office building. While he himself was inside, undergoing preliminary processing, then came word of the champion's refusal. Minutes later, Ali spoke briefly to newsmen. And I will say here boldly, now on television, no, I will not go 10,000 miles from here to help murder and kill another poor people simply to continue the domination of white slave masters over the darker people of the earth. What was his attitude after that? He was very arrogant and uh, 
became very loud and boisterous and created a scene upon the street. As you know, the heavyweight champion of the world has just made his decision. He has rejected induction into the United States military forces. He has taken the action that he has taken based upon his personal convictions and with a full realization of the implications and possible consequences. That I've said it once and I will say it again. The real enemies of my people are right here, not in Vietnam. But uh, it's good that he's being allowed to work again. As you know, he couldn't work for three years. Uh, of course, he had a strange job beating people up. <laughs> Government wanted him to change jobs. Government wanted him to kill people. <laughs> he thought it over and he said, no, that's where I draw the line. But whenever people want to really make progress, some have to sacrifice a lot. And I like to say, um, white America right now is spending $30 million a day in Asia. Black and white boys are dying unjustly for nothing just to free somebody else. So why should I worry about going to little old jail to free my poor people who's been catching hell here for 400 years? Your artist name is K-A-M-A-U-U, but your given name is spelled K-A-M-A-U. Um, yeah. At what point did you add the U? Because I saw some of your like earlier mixtapes, it's just the one U. I'm curious about this extra U. Will you talk to me about the significance of it? Yeah, I actually have a, there's a video on YouTube uh, uh, explaining like the extra U. Hello, Kamau World. My name is Kamal. And today's Commuse Day is brought to you by the letter Hugh. You may have noticed I added an extra Hugh to my name. Here are some reasons why. U is for the universe. The addition of an extra U in the name Kamal represents cause and effect and the reflective nature of the universe. U is also for underway. It represents a goal that I will not speak of, but dreams are only to be spoken through planning, action, and realization. U is for you, your mama, and your cousin too. But the actual uh, thing that instigated the change most fundamentally was the confusion. Initially, when I came out, just as a Kamau, there are other Kamau's. And um, Google and Spotify and a bunch of other you know, places were jumbling our analytics together. I get it. SEO is real. If you Google Kamau with one U, Comedian and sociopolitical commentator W. Kamau Bell is dominating the search game. On page three, you get to our Kamau with a link to his Spotify page. Then several academics, the director of strategic communications for Biden's 2020 presidential campaign. Good job, Kamau. Only on page five do you get to the poet Kamau Brathwaite, a major figure in 20th century Caribbean literature. How is it? that a, a person from the small island of Barbados, Little England, but at the same time, the nearest of all landfalls to Africa, 
how a person in this colonial space of only 21 miles long and 14 miles wide, which is as wide as a boulevard here in Washington, I suppose, um, has been able to produce this kind of uh, this kind of work. I grew up on the beaches of Barbados, and my poetry was a desire to write about that sunlight on the pores of my skin, the crunch of the coral sand on the soles of my feet. Kamal was not Brathwaite's given name at birth. He was born Lawson Edward Brathwaite in Barbados in 1930. But in 1971, he was awarded a fellowship at the University of Nairobi. And while he was there, he met the renowned Kenyan writer Gugi Wationgo. And Gugi's grandmother encouraged Brathwaite to adopt Kamau, which means quiet warrior, as his name. Brathwaite pioneered a distinctly Caribbean form of poetry. As a promising young scholar, Brathwaite read Shakespeare and Keats and all the great classic poets of the English language. And it wasn't that he couldn't write like them. It was that the form of their language could not contain Brathwaite and all that he wanted to say about where he was from and how he wanted to say it. In fact, it was, as you know, the iambic pentameter, to put it very crudely, the boy stood on the burning deck. To be or not to be, that is the question. And then you'll get the images, fair daffodils, we beep to see you haste away so soon. Never knew what daffodils were, but we learned them and it affected. So when I tried to write a poem about my experience of, of this beach. You know, it was John Keats that came to mind. So that when the sea washed up on the beach and left a little pool, that little memory of ocean, I wanted to write about the pools that were left as a memorial on our beaches. But John Keats had said that pools in somewhere were lonely. They probably had tuberculosis. They certainly lived in a, in a garret. And so my pools became very delicate, little, um, very precious things, which did not reflect the color of the pool. It did not reflect the way that the water ruffled the surface of the pool. And it never could reflect the way that the pool was recaptured by the ocean every night. So Brathwaite rejected iambic pentameter. He wrote, the hurricane does not roar in pentameters. And he adopted his own poetic rhythms, ones that, as The Guardian noted in his obituary, evoked Ghanaian talking drums, calypso, reggae, jazz, and blues. He also coined the term nation language, which establishes the speech of the people from the Caribbean and other parts of the African diaspora as its own sovereign language, not a dialect of quote-unquote proper English. Dam, dam, damirifa. Whom does death overlook? Whom, whom does death overlook? I am an orphan, and when I recall the death of my father, Water from eyes, from my eyes, falls upon me. Dam, dam, damirifa, damirifa due, damirifa due, damirifa due, due, due. Dam, dam, damirifa, 
I also know that your brother is a musician, so I'm wondering, like, you know, was this early education that you received sort of like crucial in, in your ending up a musician or do you come from a very musical family or did you always know that you wanted to do music? Yeah, my mother is a great singer. My father is a great appreciator of music. Um, both of my parents are great appreciators. The music was played a lot in our home. Um, so I started out in this school called Ujima Shule. It's the oldest independent African school in America. And uh, the man who founded it, uh, Baba Elsinzin Kuluzulu, is actually still a principal to this day. Wow. Yeah, you know, we learned we learned about ourselves as much as possible. That's a, a very important thing that um, you don't get in public schools. Public schools are very Eurocentric, which makes sense because they're designed by majority, you know, European people or people of European descent. And um, they're made for, you know, European children, children of European descent. Like when they teach uh, black history, they start at slavery. You have the oldest group of people on the planet, but they have out of everybody the shallowest history, you know. So nonetheless, my point is, it's it's very imperative for someone's confidence to see examples of themselves, people who look like them doing great things. You won't find that in public schools in America for black children. And at the school I went to, amongst the many things, Teaching music, musical history, mathematics, English, all of that stuff, they not only taught those subjects, but there's a way to connect those subjects to examples of it being articulated with absolute mastery in African history. It sounds like an amazing education. And it's so true that it's it's so important for especially children, but like adults as well, like anyone from a marginalized community to like see themselves in a continuum of excellence and to have sort of yeah. like the mainstream messages that kids absorb from a systemically racist society challenged and then like flipped on their head as well. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this one last thing. And the reason why it's important in the school, because almost every other group of people, the school here won't teach you. Uh, they won't like really take other communities of children and embellish their history either. But almost every other uh, child, many other groups, many other children could at least go to cinema. They could watch movies and find an abundance of movies that show them existing outside of whiteness in dignified places. Obviously, in Asia, you have tons of... The, the key is like period pieces. You have period pieces, tons of Japanese, Korean period pieces, Aotearoa or New Zealand uh, period pieces. There's one called The Deadlands. It's really great. Um, in the United States, you have tons of movies about great chiefs and powerful people You know, here in, on this landmass. Every landmass, almost every landmass you go to, all of the continents, you'll find epic uh, period pieces. But you will not find that. The only period piece I could think of for black people that's not about slavery, it's not about them getting their butts kicked, specifically by white people, is a movie called Shaka Zulu, which is very old. In the last 10, maybe 20, 30 years, I challenged anyone to find a not only just a film, but a, a mainstream, well-shot uh, period piece of uh, black people that, that shows them not with someone's foot on their neck. I know what Kamau means because when I was 15, a movie was released that changed the way I thought about my heritage. The story of a warrior. The woman he loved. A daring outlaw. Ah! 
and a princess destined to become a warrior. That's right, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I remember seeing it in theaters with my Chinese family, and all they could talk about was how bad Chow Yun-Fat and Michelle Yeoh's Mandarin accents were. Neither of them is a native speaker, but I recall having a different reaction. Here's what was significant to me. Everyone in the movie was Chinese. The hero, the anti-hero, the romantic leads, all Chinese. This was the first time in my life when I had seen an Asian man held up as a sex symbol. It was hugely significant to see two Chinese people getting it on, instead of just Lucy Liu making out with a white guy. Or gal, in the case of that one excruciating Ally McBeal episode. Ling, um, do you remember that time that we kissed? What about it? Well, I, I'm not looking to go there again, so don't worry, but, but you, well, you're a pretty good kisser. The Joy Luck Club, which had come out in 1993, also had a predominantly Asian cast, but that film was still framed within the context of white American society. It was about the culture clash between the moms from China and their American daughters, so even if white characters only got a little bit of screen time, white American culture was still an unseen force just off camera. And that's the same with films with all-black casts, like Boys in the Hood or Fences. You don't have to have white people on screen for the influence of whiteness to be felt. But Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Not only are there no white people on screen, the people in this film have never met a white person. White people straight up don't exist for them. Which is why Kamau's point about period pieces is spot on. In the hierarchy of representation in cinema, at the bottom, let's say you have movies where there are no people of color at all. A step above that, you have an Asian character, but he's a cab driver or a nerd. So, what's your name? Long. What's your first name? Long. What's your middle name? Duck. Above that, complex characters of color who aren't tokens or stereotypes, but are still buffeted by the forces of white supremacy. Going to never forget you. I'm going to be free. And like literally every person of color in America is impacted by systemic racism. So the only way you can ascend to the highest plane, where black or Asian or indigenous characters are living their lives outside of a white context, is A, fantasy and sci-fi. Or B, a period piece. And Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a bit of both. Well, Kamal, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm so glad that I got to talk to you. I'm so glad that I now know about your music. You are and will be in heavy rotation in this house. Um, and Thank you. And I'm so glad that you are also performing at Celebrate Brooklyn uh, later in July. Thank you so much. It was great talking. And uh, I really appreciate the questions. I'm excited to uh, perform. And uh, thank you for, for putting me and keeping me in rotation. I need that and I appreciate it. And uh, I hope that I'm helpful to you and to, to everybody else, you know, or at least as many people as possible. You know, you can't please everybody, but I hope that, that I help as many as I can. 
Kamau and Ari Lennox kick off Celebrate Brooklyn this Saturday, July 31st, in real life at the Prospect Park Bandshell. To RSVP and check out the full lineup for Celebrate Brooklyn, which runs through September 18th, go to brickartsmedia.org.